Guys, the, uh, the bulletin states that my text is uh, Proverbs 28. Uh, that's not true. And it's not the fault of the front office. Um, it would be my fault. Um, in fact, I changed to this Ecclesiastes passage uh, this morning at about uh, 7.15 as I was putting some finishing touches on this. So that's what I'm going to read to you. In fact, I think my motive is somewhat um, sinister. Um, you, you know, I, I tell you so often that I don't understand much of the book of um, Ecclesiastes. It is kind of difficult, as you know. But when I find a passage that I do understand, gosh, I want you to know that I understand it, you know. So this one I do, and I, I want to read it to you. It's in uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 10. You follow as I read. <clears throat> then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Because he does not fear before God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, in a lot of ways, this is a very practical sermon this morning, and and it borders on just downright self-serving. Self-serving not in the sense of serving me, but serving us, all of us. It's self-serving for all of us. For example, um, who, who among us does not want to be wise? Um, <clears throat> gang, we, we long for wisdom. Um, I, and I would suggest that even non-Christians long for wisdom. They and we know, we know the difference between book learning and book smarts and, and wisdom. <clears throat> wisdom is, is competence in the face of complexity. And, and, and I would dare say that as parents, um, if, if made to choose, we, we would even choose wisdom over education. Because what good is an education if, um, if there's no wisdom associated with it? <clears throat> what I'm saying is that what I have for you this morning is, is going to describe, I hope, something that you already want, that being wisdom. <clears throat> you know the Bible tells us how to get it, I think. Uh, and some of you say... Um, well, there you go again, Dr. Young. I mean, you, you uh, as far as you're concerned, the, the Bible tells us about everything. Guilty as charged. <laughs> but guys, it seems to me that if I'm going to follow this book and take its instruction as it leads me towards eternal life, then I ought to also follow it as it leads me towards wisdom. So um, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to address an issue, a desire that you already have. 
Now, guys, um, I have told you on, on several occasions that the Bible is not arranged chronologically. It is arranged thematically. <clears throat> By that I mean this. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> the first section of the Bible is the five books of the law, the Torah. That's the first section. The second section is about six or eight history books. There's a historical section. And then you come to a section called wisdom literature, which we're going to come back to in a minute. And then after that, the, the Old Testament closes off with a section on um, the prophets, the um, major prophets, and then, and then the minor prophets. Now, go back with me to that wisdom literature section. <clears throat> wisdom literature consists of about five books. There's the book of Job. Um, everybody knows about the book of Job. He's talking about human suffering, and, which is always a relevant topic because there's so much human suffering. After Job, you have the book of Psalms. Um, <clears throat> a book that covers the, the, the entire gamut of human emotion. Guilt and shame and, and joy and, and uh, fear. It's all in there. It's all addressed and, and even um, remedied, or at least remedies offered. Then you come to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book written by the wisest man that ever lived. And he's writing on the subject of wisdom. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The wisest man in the world writing on wisdom. Might be something we might want to give heed to. But then you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a, a sober analysis of life and all of its conundrums. And then, of course, the last book in the section of wisdom literature is the Song of Solomon, which is an effort to redeem human sexuality. So that's wisdom literature. Now go back with me to one of those books, the book of Proverbs. Um, and what I want to mention is um, what I would suggest is its primary theme. Uh, it's a major theme, if, if not its primary theme. <clears throat> and it's, um, it's mentioned throughout the book, but one of the best places, I think, is in chapter 8. So if you want to follow, you can turn with me to um, uh, Proverbs chapter 8. I want to read you two verses. Um, Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. Now, now you know that the book of Proverbs is, uh, is written by a father to his son. He takes his son aside. He's trying to give him some uh, advice. He's trying to instruct his son <clears throat> and he's speaking to that son, and he says, verse 10, Take my instruction instead of silver, not, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her, with wisdom. Guys, that I'm suggesting is... The, the major theme of the, of the book of Proverbs, he says it several times, um, that, that how to rightly value um, wisdom. He says it again in chapter 16, verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. As far as this man is concerned, life's prized possession it's not jewels, it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not money, it's 
wisdom. Uh, he tells his son that he should forsake everything else so that he can have wisdom. <clears throat> and, and as an aside, I, I would suggest to you that even, that even non-Christians believe that wisdom is very important. Um, as, as much as all of us want money, <clears throat> this author says um, wisdom is more to be valued. Because money is never going to satisfy without wisdom. Uh, it'd be nice to have both, but um, the book is designed to offer wisdom, but at the same time, say to his son, in all you're getting, get wisdom first. Above jewels, above gold, above silver, everything. Okay. <clears throat> if it's so value, valuable, as Solomon is suggesting, how do I get it? Now, gang, um, I would suggest to you also that if there is a verse that is the motto, kind of the crux of the issue of the entire book of Proverbs, the motto of the book is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want wisdom? Do you value it rightly? Then, let me tell you where to start. You start, the starting point of the pursuit of wisdom <clears throat> is the fear of the Lord. There's another, um, or this same author, in another one of his books, the book of Ecclesiastes, you remember, I, I, I preached on this a year and a half ago, where he says that the summation of it all, the conclusion of the whole matter, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now, how do we get, I mean, if we value it, how do we get it? Well, we start at this place called the fear of the Lord. Okay. What is that? <clears throat> well, Solomon doesn't leave us to wonder about what he means when he says, now guys, this is where you start. You start with the fear of the Lord. Now let me tell you what that means. <clears throat> he says several times <clears throat> what it is what the fear of the Lord is. Now, before I mention these verses, let me, let me say that I would suggest to you that the fear of the Lord is a wholesome and an appropriate response to the holiness of God. That's the connection of this morning with two weeks ago. And you, if you were here, you know that I, I talked about the holiness of God. I'm saying that a wholesome and an appropriate response to the holiness of God is the fear of God. But Solomon puts it this way. Chapter 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You get that? If I fear the Lord, then I would turn away from evil. But if that one confuse you, confuses you, this one won't. This is chapter 8, verse 13. He says, 
The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Now, gang, that's what's called a predicate nominative. You know what those are? Do you remember those from English, your old English days? The, um, the thing on the one side of the verb to be is equated with the thing on the other side of the verb to be. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is, the verb to be, the hatred of evil. Those two things are equated. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Here's one more, chapter 16, verse 6. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And and by the way, another one of the, the wisdom writers, Job, he agrees, and he says essentially the same thing in chapter 28 of his book, verse 28, when he says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Gang, do you get it? Value wisdom. Okay, well, we certainly do that, Jimmy. I mean, uh uh-huh. I I value it. I'm right with you. I value wisdom, and I want wisdom. Okay, how do I get it? Well, um, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Hmm. Okay, then what's the fear of the Lord? It's the hatred of evil. The beginning of the pursuit of wisdom. The launching point. It's the hatred of evil. Which is the fear of the Lord. Which is the beginning of wisdom. (laughs) Now guys, here's where the sermon gets very self-serving. That is. Because the wisdom writers don't stop there. They also give you some major characteristics of one who does fear the Lord. Not simply characteristics. They give you several things that go along with and are associated with and follow the fear of the Lord. And if you'd like to see these, um, stay with me and I'll, but you're going to need your Bible open. And they're all, I think just about all of them are going to come from the book of Psalms. Let's start in Psalm 25. Psalm 25. The author says this, verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should go, that he should choose. Now, guys, aren't we always looking for guidance? I mean, we got all these decisions to make, and they're oh so complex, and they're going to affect my family, going to affect my future, going to affect my wife, going to affect my children. Oh, God, would you guide me? Well, this text says that he chooses to instruct In the way that we should choose, he does that for the man who fears the Lord. That's Psalm 25, 12. Verse 14, same psalm. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. 
Now, guys, you may have a lot of friends, and I hope you do. But let me ask you, is is Yahweh included among them? Because here it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Okay, turn over a couple to um, Psalm 31, verse 19. 3119 states this. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. Look at it. Which you have stored up for those who fear you. Oh my goodness, y'all. <laughs> Don't we long to have God shower us with goodness? His goodness? Well, this text says, oh, he's got a vast reservoir from which he pours out goodness on who? Well, those who fear you. Um, look at Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Well, what's that mean? Well, I think this is a pretty good guess. I think it means his watch care. That he watches over with benevolent intent. Those who fear him. How about chapter 34, verse 7? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh my goodness. He's promising me protection there. And then look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. We're being promised protection. We're being promised provision for those who fear him. Jump over to Psalm 60. I think this is kind of funny, um, at least funny for me. Psalm 60. <clears throat> um, verse 4. You have set up a banner for those who fear you. Well, what's a banner? I don't know. But I want one. Don't you? But whatever that banner is, he sets it up for people who fear him. Go to Psalm 103, which is a famous psalm. People love Psalm 103, and rightly so. I have a book written by Martin Lloyd-Jones. The whole book is on this one psalm. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Now, guys, before you leave that text, yeah, 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 he loves those who fear him. Uh, Look again. You notice the term steadfast love. 
That is the translation of a Hebrew term, which is one of the most important Hebrew words in all of the Hebrew lexicon. It is the word chesed. It is found 300, I'm guessing, 300 times in the Old Testament. It has to do not with simply love, but steadfast love, loyal love. Love that won't be taken back. Who's that for? Hmm. Those who fear him. Um, Look at verse 13, same psalm. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Ladies and gentlemen, there are times when I have acted like such a bozo that I sure am glad that God has compassion for people like me. How about verse 17? Here it is again. But the chesed of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those to those who fear him. How about Psalm 111? Psalm 111, verse 5. <clears throat> he provides food for those who fear him. <laughs> we like that, don't we? Everybody wants some food. And then we're going to come back to 112, but I want you to skip over to 145 real quick. 145, verse 19. It says this. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. The life that I have that is so full of desires for this and that and that. He makes my life work. He doesn't make it pain free. He just makes it work. And then go back to 112, because this statement is found numerous places in wisdom literature. Um, Psalm 112.1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. What's being promised here, it's found in uh, Psalm 115, verse 13. Um, He will bless those who fear the Lord. It's found in Psalm 128. It's found in Proverbs 28. It's, um, It's found numerous places. This promise of generalized blessing to those who fear him. <clears throat> now, guys, guidance, friendship, goodness, watch care, <laughs> a banner. Steadfast, loyal love, food, protection, provision, and an overall sense of blessing. Promise to whom? To those who fear him. You know, guys, don't you? I don't don't even want to ask you because I know the answer. 
Don't you want that? Don't you want all that? That is being promised to people who fear the Lord. And you know what they're, what they're like? They're people who hate evil and run from it. You know, guys, in another place in wisdom literature, and I hope you've noticed this, that I've drawn everything up to this point. I've drawn everything from wisdom literature. Um, another book in the wisdom literature, the book of Ecclesiastes, I think you know that the, the primary word in the book of Ecclesiastes is the word uh, vanity. All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Um, what I'm suggesting is this. People who know that to be true, people who know just how full of complexity life is, those are the people who hasten to take refuge in this God. Now, I want you to look at another statement found in Proverbs 30, which it just couldn't be more thrilling. Um, Proverbs 30, 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, guys, you remember I've told you this before. In the Old Testament, there were two kinds of shields. There was a big round one, about the, you know, it was just a large frisbee-like kind of shield. And you use that one to parry off the blows of the enemy as he attacked you. You know, hmm, hmm, you know, that was, that was a shield. And then there was another shield that was like the size of a small door. And as you moved forward to the, to the city walls, you hid behind this door so that the arrows wouldn't get you. That's the second kind of shield. And the shield that is mentioned in Proverbs 30, verse 5, is that big one, the shape of a door. When you take refuge in this God, he becomes your shield. Now, here's my point, guys. Who is it that takes refuge in this God? The people who understand that life is so full of vanity. So, what that means is, the very God that I am to fear is the same God to whom I run for shelter and protection and provision and guidance and goodness and blessing. Guys, is that not beautiful to you? And the other thing that I, I want to mention, just inserted in here, is that the, the other thing that should cause you to fear him, ladies and gentlemen, is the recognition that the one English word that summarizes his character the best is the word Holiness. The God who is holy, 
provides a refuge and a shield for those who fear him. You know, there are those who push back on this whole idea of fearing God. And they normally counter with a couple of New Testament verses. The first one is found in 1 John 4, verse 18, which, as many of you know, states that perfect love casts out fear. And so they say, Jimmy, you're wrong about that. Perfect love casts out fear. Here's what I would suggest that you do. I want you to go home this afternoon, and I want you to read that paragraph. 1 John 4, in which that statement is found. Just read the paragraph. That's all I'm asking. Not the, you can read the book, the chapter. Just read the paragraph. And in that paragraph, ladies and gentlemen, what is being said is that you and I have no fear of condemnation and judgment. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, you need not fear judgment. You need not fear condemnation. But that has nothing to do with this idea that I as his child fear him and I walk in that fear. The other verse that is used as a counter is the one found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 that says, for you have not been given a spirit of fear. Let me point this out to you guys. The, the normal Greek word for fear is the word phobos. Phobia. And the word that is found in 2 Timothy 1.7 is not phobos. It's the word delias. Which means cowardice or timidity. No, we have not been given a spirit of cowardice or timidity. But that doesn't change, ladies and gentlemen, that we are being asked. Because of who this God is. To fear. Let me read you. Something that Jesus said, and and I would love for you to see it for yourself. It's in Luke 12, if you can turn there real quick. And if you've got one of those Bibles that have red words in it, these are all red words, which means, of course, that Jesus said them. I'll read you two verses. This is in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, says Jesus. Fear him. Let me kind of summarize. A God of holiness demands fear. Gaining wisdom, life's prized possession demands fear. Experiencing God's overall blessing with numerous specifics demands fear. And Jesus commands fear. Guys, um, did you say that you wanted to be wise? And if we were, that is wise, in the biblical sense of that word, we wouldn't flirt with sin. We 
wouldn't dabble in sin, ladies and gentlemen. We wouldn't go on websites so that we could say, oh, you know, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. In fact, we would run from it. Because remember what the fear of the Lord is? Hatred of evil. And, and, and if we were biblically wise, we wouldn't play at worship either. Because we would offer serious, sober praise. If, if we were biblically wise, we wouldn't drown ourselves in consumerism, but we would invest in our souls. And we wouldn't find a hundred different ways to neglect our souls. We would do all that we can to feed it and nourish it. One final point. Psalm 85 verse 9, another piece of wisdom literature, states that salvation, surely salvation is near to those who fear him. Whoa. Now we're talking salvation. <clears throat> There's a lot of such statements like that in, in the scriptures. Proverbs 19.23 states, and, and listen to this, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Brethren, whoever has it, the fear of the Lord, we rest satisfied. Doesn't that sound downright enchanting? Now, as we close, I want you to go back to Ecclesiastes 8, and let me show you. I understand this little paragraph. I'm, I'm so proud of myself, you know? One paragraph in the entire book I think I get. Look at it. Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. That is, Solomon went to a funeral the other day, and and the guy that was being buried was a, was a wicked man. In fact, he did all of his wickedness uh, throughout the city um, and even in the, in the place of worship. And he was praised by the city <laughs> for all of this wickedness that he was doing. He says, uh, he says in verse 10, that's vanity. And then he says in verse 11, because the sentence against evil deeds, an evil deed is not executed speedily, because judgment for wickedness does not come right on the heels of the wickedness. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And now watch. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because. Read it. Because he does not fear the Lord. Guys, the New Testament says the same thing. Paul says the same thing in, in Romans chapter 3 when he's describing the, prag the pagan mind. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Here's my point, guys. If there is no fear of God before your eyes, something is seriously wrong, and you will not die well 
But for us who have, who have become Christians by sovereign grace, you can eliminate that fear of judgment and condemnation. condemnation. Yes, yes, yes. Christ has taken the judgment that was due our sin. He has stood in our place and become our substitute. Thus we, fear, we need not fear judgment. But that does not mean that we Christians should stop fearing this God. It is that wholesome, appropriate response to His holiness that prompts us to hate evil and run from it. It also makes for some serious, devoted, engaged worshipers. Did you say that you wanted to be wise? He's just told us how. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will res- remind your people that the things concerning our souls are, are, are not, they're not trivial. They're not, um, they're not to be moved down the list of priorities while we chase after whatever we're chasing after. But at the top of that list, way in front of a pursuit of gold and silver and jewels, It's the pursuit of wisdom. Grant us that, God. Might we be a a church full of people who long and chase after wisdom and then enjoy the great blessings of doing so as we rest satisfied in the finished work of Christ. Father, if you brought people here this morning who are not doing that thing, that, that, that very thing, would you cause them to see that their greatest need of the moment is not our pay raise. What they need is a relationship with you through faith in Christ. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.